Amen. Morning, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Why not turn to someone next to you, tell the person it's so good to see you here today. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, this morning I have my Chinese New Year voice. Yeah, so I, I hope that you guys had a tremendous Chinese New Year. You know, it's always good to be with family. Amen. And I just want to, you know, even though this is not part of my, my sermon, I just want you all to know that we need to value and treasure family. Amen. Because God has uh, placed every one of us uh, specifically and significantly, all right, in each family. They may not be perfect, just as we are not perfect. But we thank God for our families. Amen. Amen. All right, this morning, you know, I, I have a, a message that's very close to my heart to share with you. I want to talk to you guys about greatness. Everybody say greatness. You know, all of us, we have been ingrained that being the greatest is staying at the top. The moment we talk about, you know, being great, we often think that we must come in first or even to the place of like having the most. If you have the most, you are great. And we tend to grow up in that kind of uh, environment, even in school. Yeah, if you want to be great in your class, make sure that you are number one. Yeah, if you, you don't want to be great, you must have the, you know, you must be the most popular or have the most friends. And most people would think that accomplishments and accolades, awards, are the essence of greatness. If you go to someone's house, you see, you know, there there's a trophy chest or a trophy, you know, cabinet where all the, the, the awards of, of, you know, uh, things that you have won before, best employee, the, the best, you know, uh, worker or whatsoever. Uh, and if you have, you know, a, a, a picture of you shaking hands with our prime minister, depends which prime minister, all right? You feel like, wow, you know, it's like, wow, this person is great. But I want you to know this, that even though the world's perception of greatness is often linked to power, popularity, and status, these things are easily replaceable. And if greatness is driven by power, by popularity, and by status, let me tell you what, all these are just fleeting things, things that are just going to pass by momentarily. It will just pass by just like that. Amen? So, I, I, you know, I was uh, reading, you know, some history. I, I, I like history, and especially with sports. And I came across this man by the name of Roger Bannister. He broke the four-minute mark for the mile run in 1954. Prior to 1954, no man could break the four-minute mark. Mark, it's impossible because people think that man could never run the mile run under four minutes. But Roger Bannister, in 1954, he broke that record in three minutes, 59.4 seconds. But that record has since, has since been broken by 1,633 runners by 2021. So even though he was the first and everyone thought, that, wow, you know, a man broke the four-minute mark in the mile run. But today, by today's time, over 1,663 runners have done that. Alexander the Great was a world conqueror. He was known as the first world conqueror. But after him came Attila the Hun, Shamalin, and also Genghis Khan. 
who did more than what Alexander the Great had ever done in his lifetime. John D. Rockefeller was the first recorded billionaire in 1916. And today in the world, there are 2,668 billionaires. So if we think that all these things are the things that will give us greatness, I want us to think again because records, power, popularity, status, all these things can just be replaced by somebody else. It is not that these people have not achieved great things in their lives. I'm not saying that, you know, achieving great things is bad. But greatness in these things alone is always shifting. So the more that we think that, you know, in, in our lives that we want to be great, I believe that all of us, we want to be great. But the problem is this. If we put greatness in all these things, then our greatness or being great is just momentarily. So even in church, if we bring these things into church, we will end up building on something that is varying. That's why we cannot build based on what our perspective or the world's perspective of what greatness is all about. I want our church to be great. But that greatness must be in accordance to God's perspective. Everybody say God's perspective. Let's turn to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to read from verse 33 to 37. And he came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, in his arms he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. See, the disciples by this time, they had some measure of success in ministry. They've been sent out, they've cast out demons, they've healed the sick, they've gone everywhere, and people knew them that these 12 were the disciples of Jesus. And everywhere that they went, Miracles followed after them because Jesus has empowered them. Jesus has anointed them to do the work of ministry. But then somehow that it came to them that, hey, there are 12 of us, but who is the greatest among us? So they want to have an order. Who's number one? Who's number two? Who's number three? And definitely no one wants to be number 12. You understand what I'm saying? So they were the Bible says that they disputed. So in a way, some, basically, you know, just imagine this, they disputed. So what happened was this, that they were actually claiming themselves to be number one. Peter would say, I'm the greatest. But they disputed, no, Peter, you are not the greatest. I am the greatest, John said. But then Andrew said, no, 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 no. John, you are not the greatest, I am. And then probably Nathaniel said, hey, you know, it's not the three of you, it's me. So they were arguing that he caught Jesus' attention. Their dispute was not just, you know, a private dispute. 
They came to Jesus' knowledge. And Jesus saw that because Jesus knew, saw through their personal desire to be recognized. But you see, Jesus then told them this, if you want to be great, if you want to be first, you have to be a servant of all. And then Jesus took a little child and used that little child as an example. So what Jesus did was that Jesus turned their focus away from the need of prominence to what really matters. This lesson of Jesus taking the little child is very important to every one of us. The way we treat the incapable and the vulnerable reveals the true nature of our hearts. That's why Jesus took a little child because a little child cannot give them back something in return. There's no way a child can appreciate or give them the recognition the way that they expected. In other words, Jesus is telling them that greatness is not about self-serving, but serving others and expecting nothing in return. That is what greatness is all about. That this morning, that we do not serve in order to get something back, but we serve to a place that we will not expect anything in return. And that is something that is very difficult to do, even though all of us knows the concept. But in reality, it's a huge challenge. So this morning, I want to encourage us as a church that we should be concerned in raising servants, not raising leaders. That's the problem with, with us or with many churches that we focus so much on leadership, but we never focus much on servanthood. But church today needs servants, not just merely leaders. Can I hear an amen for that? And I want to share with you three things which are very important, which are very important for us to be able to be true servants of Jesus Christ. Number one, there must be a change in our mentality. Have the right mentality that serving is not menial. The world would often view serving as a subservient attitude. But that's not true in God's kingdom. People always think that oh, because you serve, you are of lower class. It doesn't work that way in God's kingdom. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 says that the world would deem ruling over others and flaunting authority under them. That's what they, you know, they, they think that the Gentiles, they will rule over the people. They will flaunt their authority. But Jesus said, but you must be different. You must be different from how the world views 
leadership. And that's why we need to break the mentality that greatness is about being at the top, like commanding people to do things, pointing our finger and someone is going to get the things done. We need to break that. Humility is key. If we are talking about servanthood, Jesus said this of himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus said it himself. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. So how many of us want to be more like Jesus? If we want to be more like Jesus, don't ever think that we, we will come to a place that we will be served. We must serve. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 7 says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus did not come as a world ruler, a world conqueror. He came as a servant, being made in human likeness. You know, the tricky part about humility is that the moment you think you have become humble, it begins to slip away from you. <laughs> if you go to someone and say, oh, you know, I, I'm very humble. That's not very humble. You know, Chuck Swindle said in one of his books, there are two primary marks of humility in the life of a believer. The first is a non-threatening attitude when you're confronted by another person. You are approachable. You can be confronted without getting angry, hostile, or defensive. The second is a deep sensitivity to the needs of others. So if we want to be truly great, we must be a servant. We, have the, we need to have a mentality of a servant. You must be approachable. The world is the other way around. If you are great, you have lines and lines of you know, protocols before you meet the person. Am I right? You need to go through the secretary. After the secretary, you need to go through the PA. After the PA, you know, you need to go through the second PA. Then only you come to the person. That's how the world works. But, Jesus, but you know, Chuck Swindle said this. You cannot afford to be like that. You need to be approachable. If you think that there's air around you, just because you're of a certain position, you better rethink. Because that's not what Jesus talked about, the very nature of being a servant. And then you need to have a sensitivity towards the needs of others. Don't only think about yourself. The danger is this, when we end up thinking that, you know, we, you know even in the working world, we are climbing the corporate ladder, so in the church, we have a ministry ladder. That's not the way God's kingdom works. We must learn, amen, to have the mentality of a servant and humility is key.
So regardless of who, you know, whatever positions that you have, no matter what status that you have, you know, you, you could be the richest person here in this church. I don't know who you are, but it doesn't matter. I choose not to know. I don't want to know. Because all of us are the same in the eyes of God. I don't care whether you are the most talented person here in this church. It doesn't matter. Unless and until we learn about humility, we will never be able to be truly great in the eyes of God. Amen. So don't hide behind your power. Don't hide behind your popularity. Don't hide behind your status. Because all these things will not make you great. But what truly makes you great is to have the humility of a servant. That's number one. Number two, we need to have an attitude of a servant. We can't have the mentality of servanthood without the attitude of servanthood. Because sometimes we think that we have, you know, that we are servants in Christ. We think that we are humble. But the true test of the attitude of servanthood is an unselfish and giving heart. You know, in Numbers chapter 11, there was two men by the name of Eldad and Midat. So everybody say Eldad. And Midat. Okay. So Eldad and Midat, they were one of the elders that uh, Moses appointed. And the Spirit of God came upon the elders and, and they began to prophesy. So when everyone had stopped, they have left the camp, right? Eldad and Midat, they were still in a camp and they were continuing, they, they continued to prophesy. But that upset, uh, upset uh, Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun. He became so upset that Eldad and Midat continued to prophesy, prophesy whereas the rest of the, the elders, you know, have, have stopped prophesying. So Joshua, he went to Moses in Numbers chapter 11, verse 28 to 29. He says this. He said this to Moses. Moses, my master, make them stop. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them all. So Moses, he said, what is it to you? It's okay. I wish everybody would have that anointing to prophesy. So Moses was not just thinking about himself, the position that he, he had as, as, you know, as, as, as anointed of God. He's saying that I wish everyone could have the anointing of God. That's his heart, the unselfish and, you know, a giving heart. In, you know, 150 years ago, there was a man, a preacher by the name of Charles Simeon. He was considered to be the greatest preacher in England, in Great Britain. He was so great a preacher that six years after his death, they collected all his sermons and they put it in 21 heartbound volumes and published them. 150 years later, the, you know, the series of sermons he preached is still in print. For 54 to 55 years, he was the head vicar, the pastor, the Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, of the Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge. He preached to hundreds and thousands of people. He is the man who is credited with bringing the evangelical Christianity back into the Church of England. 
So he was a well-known person. But at the height of his career, he was struck down with illness. He couldn't preach for eight months and was deathly sick. During that eight months, his second in command, a man by the name of Thomason, was given the job of preaching because he was sick. He could not preach. So he said, Thomason, you go and preach. Thomason had no prior experience in preaching, but has just been following you know, uh, uh, Charles Simeon, Simeon, wherever that he went to preach. So he was, you know, just in the shadow of Charles Simeon. Nobody had really heard of Thomason preach. But when Thomason preached, he began to preach. Everybody said he was just as good. And some even said that he was better than the great Simeon. How do you think Simeon felt? when he heard that. Most people would be angry, bitter, jealous and tell him good luck in your next church. But not Simeon. Simeon, he rejoiced when he heard the news. When he was in his sick bed, people came to him, hey, you know what, this is what people have been telling, saying that your, your, your guy, you know, who have now taken your, over your role to preach, he's, you know, he's, he's not just as good as you are, but he's even better. Simeon rejoiced. And in his biography, recounting that instant, he quoted John 3, verse 30, that he must increase and I decrease. During his sickness, he told a friend, now I know why God has laid me aside and I bless him for it because God has raised up Thomason in my state and he's doing even better. That's what an unselfish and giving heart is. We need to always want to see others do better than ourselves. Someone told me this before, we go down so that we can lift somebody up. And we are talking about generations here in this church. We want the next generation to do better than ours than the previous. And we should rejoice. If a campus student preached better than me, praise God, hallelujah. I'll be running in circles, man. I might even bring a flag and start waving. Pastor John might take out a shofar and start blowing. I tell you what, we must always want to see others do better than ourselves. I rejoice every single time when Pastor John comes up to preach, I get inspired, I get excited. And when people come up to me and say, hey, Pastor John preached a great message, I say, yes, praise God. Or when Gene comes up to preach or any person to come up to preach, they come, hey, wow, they did very well. Say, praise God. Hallelujah. That should be the attitude. Especially for those of us who are serving together, we want them to do better than us. Don't be like the Chinese Kung Fu master who will teach everything but one stance that he will not teach. Because they are very afraid that the student will kill the master. You understand what I'm saying? Those of you Cantonese, you understand what, 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 what I'm saying, right? 
always keep that one, one stance. But we should never be like that. We should give everything so that at the end of the day, we believe that whatever we sow, we will reap. Why we have no new vision is because we do not sow vision to other people. Because we keep on holding to it. You know, uh, you know my vision is bigger than yours. That's, that's the problem. If I think that my vision is bigger than the campus students, they will never be able to grow further and greater than, than I do as long as I'm leading them. That's the problem. I should be looking at them and if their vision is bigger, praise God, hallelujah. Must encourage them to have bigger vision. Just like how when you, you know, when you have children, you wish your, your children, you want your children to, to, to be better than you. Am I right? Come on, parents, you understand what I'm saying, right? So I, I pray that, you know, we will always have that attitude of servanthood, which is having an unselfish and giving heart. That's what we need. In this church, don't ever think that, oh, we need to be at the top all the time. Hey, come on. It's not about positional recognition. It's about functional in the kingdom of God. It's about being able to function in the kingdom of God. And the third thing is this. Firstly, we need to have the mentality of servanthood. Secondly, attitude of servanthood. Thirdly, we need to have actions of servanthood. The mentality and attitude of servanthood must result in action. Servanthood is not a concept. It's not just merely intention. It must result in action. That's why I want to encourage all of us, we must all serve together. Don't make a superstar of anyone. Don't make a superstar of me. Because that's not what God has intended in His ways in his kingdom. We must all serve together. Why not turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor, serve with me. Please don't tell your neighbor, serve me. All right. Serve with me. Turn to your other neighbor, tell the other neighbor, serve with me. Friends, we need to appreciate everyone and not make a celebrity of anyone. Amen. So we need to serve together. So I want to encourage you, whether you are young or old, whether you are rich or not so rich, whether you, you, know, you, you, you are some high, you know, powered uh, position in, in the world or, or you are not, it doesn't matter. In this church, we are all the same. When we come to church, all our titles, all our things, we need to learn to lay it all down. All our achievements, we need to lay it all down. Because all these things can never compare to the glory of God. It's as simple as that. So that's why I, I hope that we will understand this. That we all need to serve together. Amen? And we need to learn to appreciate everyone, but not make anyone a celebrity. So I, I would love to, 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 you know, that our church will be a serving church. Every one of us. 
No matter how rich you may be, how, how great you may be, you've shaken hands with few prime ministers, it doesn't matter. But we must get our hands to the work of the ministry. Amen. So in this house, remember this. Don't be like the disciples disputed, disputing among themselves who is the greatest. But we should be focusing on serving others all the time. So this morning we are going to do something, you know, uh, special together. We're going to have communion together. But before we do that, I want to read to you a portion of scripture. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, uh, in Corinth he said this, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you came together as a church, there are divisions among you and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. Is it not? It is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord, which I also passed to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed and took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For wherever, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regards to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should, eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you eat, when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further instructions. So Paul here, he was talking to the church in Corinth. They had a thriving church. The ministry gifts were, were, were operating in the church in Corinth. But the problem was this, the people were not together. So Paul had an issue with that. And there were those, and if you read through this, you'll see that there were those that felt that they were elite. There were those that felt that they were more important than others. That's why some of them, they, they ate first before the rest. 
But he says that when you come before the Lord's table, you must eat together. Because irregardless of your, who you are or your status that you are, we are all in the same body. If we don't have that mentality, we are actually breaking the Lord's command on the cup and the bread. So this morning, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, even as a church. Friends, never come to a place where we will fight for positions. Because that's not what this church stands for. I always tell this to all our leaders, your position is so that you can function. It's not a status. Me as a senior pastor, it's not a status. It's my function. It's my calling. And we need to understand that. And when we come together, the Bible tells us we must regard each other. We must come to a place of such a, a, a cohesiveness as a family, a spiritual family, that without you, there's no me. We should never come to a place where we begin to look at each other and like, you know, I think I'm greater than you. I'm more important than you. Never have that kind of mentality because that's not what the Lord has intended. Everyone is important. Why not turn to your neighbour, tell your neighbour, you are as important as me. Please don't ever think that you are more important than anyone else. Your power, your status, your popularity does not make you special, more special. We are all special in the sight of God. So this morning, as we take the Lord's communion, I want you to examine yourself. Examine your heart. Will you be committed to say, God, that we're going to serve you, we're going to serve one another. It's not about our positions. It's not about our status. It's not about our popularity. It's not even about power. But truly, to be your people. And in that manner, we want to come before the Lord in this morning's communion. It's a very, very important consideration. Please don't take communion this morning and after this, have that kind of mentality, I want to be the greatest here in this church. I want to be the most well-known, the most important. People should appreciate me. People should acknowledge me. If that's the problem, that's the problem. <laughs> so can we just take a few moments? I don't want us to read. I don't want us to rush this because it's very important. I, I just want us to, even as a church, this is where we are moving forward. We are going to be a church filled with servants, not superstars. We are all going to serve. Amen. We are all going to be approachable. Amen. We are all going to think of others, other, you know, more than just ourselves. Amen. So let's take this moment. Amen. Why don't you just close your eyes wherever you are. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.
You know, why not? Everyone of us stand to our feet as we prepare to take the Lord's communion. Father, we thank you for this morning that you reminded us again that God had a path to greatness. It's not power, it's not popularity, it's not status. But to come to a place of being a servant. And Lord, we pray, oh God, that our mentality, our attitude, and our actions will coincide, will be in line with your perspective of what greatness is all about. Servanthood. So we come as a church Lord, this morning, we are committing ourselves to you that truly, oh God, that we want to be a serving church. Every single one will be serving. Serving others, putting others above our own self. That we will desire others to do better than ourselves. That the next generation will do better than the current or even the previous. So Lord, we thank you. And Lord, with this attitude, with this heart, with this mentality Lord we come before you and as we partake of the communion as we eat of the bread we remember we remember everything that you have done for us that your body was broken for us so that your church can be one with you and with one another so we thank you for your body let's eat of the bread together Lord, as we hold the cup in our hands, we remember the blood of Christ that has been shed for the remission of sins. None of us is more superior than another. None of us are holier than another. All of us, we are all made righteous and holy before you because of the blood of Jesus. So Lord, as we drink of the cup, Lord, we pray that Lord, that we will have the attitude, the heart of knowing that Lord, that you, it is you who first forgave us. So Lord, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Let's drink of the cup. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you again for where you are leading our church, where you are bringing our church to. Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name, Lord, may our church be a church that's pleasing unto you. Everything that we do, O oh Father, will not stem from our own personal desires or ambition. But Lord, we pray, O oh God, that it will always be in line with that, what the Holy Spirit, what you have intended in your will in heaven, O oh Father, for us. So Holy Spirit, we pray, guide us and lead us. We thank you. We commit our church before you. And Lord, even as we go from this place, May the love of the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us in our going out, in our coming in. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone say, Amen, 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 Amen. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. You know, before we go, why not turn to someone next to you, <clears throat> tell that person, serve together with me. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you and we we'll see you guys again. All right, next Sunday. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great.
This sermon has been brought to you by Harvest Generation Church. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged.